0: Trying to figure out what I was going to speak about today, and uh, kind of looking at where our church is going, with going outside the four walls, people talking to people outside of the church. And I was listening to some random people, I was sitting actually in a restaurant, and some people were talking about the gospel, ooh, whoa, gospel, 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 and uh I was like, let's just, let's just cover the gospel. Let's just talk about salvation and sin. Let's make sure we're all on the same page. And uh, a little more in-depth, and I used to do a, a sin and salvation thing with the youth when I was doing the youth classes, a little more in-depth, but um, we're a little older. so um, My slides up there? I'll just start off by reading some Bible. Uh, Genesis 131, God saw all that he had made and it was very good. And there was evening and there was morning, the sixth day. Um, just want to start off with the fact that what God created was very good. So when we start talking about sin, a lot of people, their first reaction is, why would God create sin? God did not create sin. Um, he didn't decrease sin. When he spoke things into being, when he spoke everything that we have, the matter, everything behind it, um, it was very good. We know that God did not create sin. We know that God did not necessarily create evil. And uh, so let's look at that to begin with, because we do need to figure out evil and sin. Um, God did not create sin. Am I working yet? Uh, He did not decree it. He only decreed that everything he made was very good. He provided and declared a standard. Evil is not a created object. When we think about God creating things, we think about objects. We think about his creation, what he covers in Genesis, um, what he covers with the angels. Um, It's hard to think of evil because we think of evil with a very philosophical mind because of the world that we live in. We think of evil as... um, like a force, and uh, but really, what evil is? Is is evil is when something falls short of that standard that God created. When God created everything, and He said it is good. It's very good. Anything that is not very good, that is not up to the standard of God, is what we decide as evil. Is what we see as evil. Does that make sense? A lot of people get really hung up on like, if God is God and He's all powerful. Um, you know, why did he let sin happen? Why did, he let, why did he create sin? Why did he create evil? And those are good questions, um, but he was not directly responsible for the creation of sin and evil. Um, evil is not necessarily a being. It's just that stuff which falls short of the goodness and the holiness of God. Um, sin was found in Satan when he chose for something God had not chosen for him. God declared that everything was very good. Everything had a role. Everything had a function. Satan decided to go against his role and his function in God. And by doing that, sin and evil enter in. Um, A good way to think of this is when we choose other, when we choose things that are really against God's will, we're sinning. That's the best way to try to come up with some kind of way to explain sin to people, is when we decide that we're going to do something against that standard that God said is very good. We are entering into sin. Um, And God did know about sin. He knew before he created everything. We know that God had knowledge of all of it. Um, And he still allowed us to be created with free will. He still allowed the angels to have free will and uh, knowing the price that it would pay. Um, We know that free will is a big thing for God. There's no true worship without free will. And um, it's kind of where we go with the evil and sin. I'm talking about Satan. In Isaiah reference, here's here's what it talks about. How you have fallen from heaven, morning star, son of the dawn. You have been cast down to the earth. You who once laid low the nations. You said in your heart, I will ascend to the heavens. I will raise my throne above the stars of God. I will sit enthroned on the mount of assembly of the utmost heights of Mount Zaphon I will ascend above the tops of the clouds and I will make myself like the Most High. But you are brought down to the realm of the dead, to the depths of the pit. And again, Satan going against what he was created to do. Just decided he was not going to be who he was meant to be and he rebelled against God. Um, so with that being made, or with that occurring, the earth is made, man is living in the garden, um, Satan enters into the garden and man chooses to sin. And what man chose to do was they chose something not in God's specified will. And we know what God's specified will was. It wasn't like it was just a trick thing because God told them specifically not to eat of the tree. He told them specifically not to do something and they chose to do it. It was a choice. Again, the product of free will. Um, God gave the fair warning. This wasn't a naive accident and then we get in Genesis the pronouncement of the curse from that. Um, and now we are born into sin. Um, our bodies are corrupted by sin. The world is corrupted by sin. Everything now decays in our world, and we must now put work into something to keep it up. I like to think about this like when you learn in science, when you think about the law of second law of thermodynamics, it says that all energy systems decay unless you put work into an energy system to keep it going. I think that that's part of the curse. I think that everything was at a status. Everything was equilibrium. There was a way. And when sin and evil enters the world, now we have to deal with the decay of all systems. Whether they're large systems, whether they're small systems, whether it's a physical system, a spiritual system, everything is in that state. And we inadvertently chose that. That is really small, so I'm going to read it. But the gift followed many trespasses and brought the justification. For if the trespass of the one man, death reigned through the one man, how much more will those who receive God's abundant provision of grace and of the gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ? Consequently, just as one trespass resulted in condemnation for all people, so also one righteous act resulted in justification and life for all people. For just as through the disobedience of one man the many were made sinners, so also through the obedience of the one man the many will be made righteous. The law was brought in so that the trespass might increase, but where sin increased, grace increased all the more, so that just as sin reigned in death, so also grace might reign through righteousness to bring eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. That's the answer to our pickle. Now, what I would like to talk about is this is where we get a little termy, and we need to talk about terms and like if we're out explaining the gospel to people, the entering of sin and the barriers that keep us from God. There's multiple barriers when we explain it to people. Sometimes we can very much simplify it, but I kind of cover what most of the people call the barriers. Um, so I'm going to start with the barriers, and then I'm going to use the words, the things that happen through salvation destroy those barriers that's kind of where I'm going so I just want to go through some barriers then what Jesus did to destroy these barriers and give us a firmer understanding of what salvation does and get just get it fresh in our minds for when we are relaying the gospel um, barrier one that we have to deal with when we are sinners is the holiness of God um, can talk about the Isaiah throne room experience where Isaiah is brought into the throne room of God. The angels are all holy, holy, holy. And Isaiah is like, ugh, I am not supposed to be here. What is this I'm feeling? I feel disgusting. And just that realizing that God is holy. Um, Isaiah felt it right away. And so we talk about it in other places in the Bible too. But that barrier is going to keep us away. Um, Habakkuk 113, you are... Too just to tolerate evil. You are unable to condone wrongdoing. Or Yeah, you are unable to condone wrongdoing. So why do you put up with such treacherous people? Why do you say nothing when the wicked devour those more righteous than they are? Just talking about God not tolerating any evil. First uh, 1 John 1, 1.5 says, Now this is the gospel message we have heard from him and announced to you. God is light and in him there is no darkness at all. Um, Genesis eighteen twenty-five. Far be it from you to do such a thing to kill the godly with the wicked, treating the godly and the wicked alike. Far be it from you. Will you not judge the whole earth to do what is right? The Holiness of God judging. 2 Timothy 4, 8. Finally, the crown of righteousness is reserved for me. The Lord, the righteous judge, will award it to me on that day, and not to me only, but to all of those who have set their affection on his appearing. Uh, Deuteronomy 32, 4. As for the rock, his work is perfect, for all his ways are just. He is a reliable God who is never unjust. He is fair and upright. Romans 2.5 But because of your stubbornness and unrepentant heart, you are storing up wrath for yourselves in the day of wrath, when God's righteous judgment is revealed. God will repay each person according to what they have done. So just knowing us in our decay, us in all of our sin, being able to enter into the holy place, that's not how things work. There be a reaction. So we are, the, the holiness of God, I don't want to call it a barrier and call it a bad thing. The holiness of God, we know that it's not a bad thing. But it is one of the barriers that keep us from living the life that we're supposed to live. The barrier, too, um, that I want to talk about is the, the sin of man. And we'll, uh, we'll talk about the sins of man here, because there's, there's different sin of man when the Bible refers to the sins of man. They're talking about, uh, there's like three different types of the sins of man that, that impact our life. Uh, the sin of man, let's just look at the general verses. Uh, Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That applies to all of us, Isaiah, Isaiah 59.1. Look the Lord's hand is not too weak to deliver you his ear is not too deaf to hear you but your sinful acts have alienated you from God your sins have caused him to reject you and not listen to your prayers John 14:6 Jesus replied I am the way the truth and the life no one comes to the father except through me Acts 4:12 and there is salvation in no one else for there is no other name under heaven given among people which we might be saved the first sin I want to talk about is what people refer to as imputed sin. Imputed sin of man is the, we read about this earlier in Romans 5, Adam is the representative head of the human race, and because of our natural relationship to him, his sin is imputed, reckoned to the entire human race. God views the human race as though we have sinned in Adam or with Adam. But in this, we also see God's grace, as Paul explains in Romans 5:12 to 18, For just as Adam's sin was imputed to every human being as a descendant of Adam because of Adam's one act of sin, so Christ's righteousness is imputed to all who become children of God by faith in Christ because of his one act of righteousness. So when Paul is specifically talking about that in Romans 5, he is expressly it's concerning the imputed sin that we get just from being sons of Adam just being part of Adam's race. The next sin that I would like to talk about is inherited sin. The Bible teaches the fact that as the posterity of Adam, every child is born with a sinful nature inherited from his parents. So we have the overarching human sin that just being part of the human race, we have that sin carried upon us. Then now we are talking about inherited sin. We talk about uh, curses from generation to generation and inheriting the sins of the Father, just as there's blessings that come from our, from our forefathers and generations before. Um, so there's also the sin that we have to deal with, the familial sin. Ephesians 2, one, And although you are dead in your offenses and sin, in which you formerly lived according to the world's present path, according to the ruler of the domain of the air, the ruler of the spirit, that is now energizing the sons of disobedience, among whom all of us are formerly lived out, all of us also formerly lived out our lives in the cravings of our flesh, indulging the desires of the flesh and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, even as the rest. The vital principle is that um, men do not sin and become sinners, rather they sin because they are sinners. Does that make sense? Um, it's how we're born. It's what we get from our parents. Um, so there's imputed sin, which is the line of Adam. Inherited sin, slightly different. That's talking about the direct generational sins that we deal with. And then there's just the good old stuff that we like to do on our own. And that is personal sin. Um, And this refers to the products of the sinful nature of inherited sin, the actual deeds, or acts of sin, which all men do because they are sinful. Romans 3.18, there is no fear of God before their eyes, for all of sin falls short of the glory of God. So that's dealing with just the sin parts itself. Just the sin that's going to kill us. Then there's the other barrier that people differentiate, and this is the penalty of sin. Um, Because God is holy and man is sinful, God's perfect justice must act against man to charge him as guilty and under the penalty of sin with a debt to pay and a sentence to serve. Thus, the law of the Old Testament functions as a bill of indictment, indictment It shows man guilty and under the penalty of sin. So this is the spiritual legal consequences of sin. That makes sense. This is God saying, "Here are laws. You are not following these laws. So now this is a barrier also, and this is the penalty of sin. These are the laws. These are the the spiritual rules that we enter into because of the sin. And it has also created a barrier. Does that make sense? Not really." Trying to go through a lot of stuff really fast. Uh, Romans 3.19. Now we know that whatever the law says, says to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be silenced and the whole world may be held accountable to God. For no one is declared righteous before him by the works of the law. For through the law comes the knowledge of sin. Galatians 3.19. Why then was the law given at all? It was added because of transgressions until the seed capital S, Jesus, to whom the promise referred had come. The law was given through angels and entrusted to a mediator. A mediator, however, implies more than one party, but God is one. 21st verse, is the law therefore opposed to the promises of God? Absolutely not. For For if a law had been given and that could impart life, then righteousness would have certainly come through by the law. But scripture has locked up everything under the control of sin, so that what was promised, being given through faith in Jesus Christ, might be given to those who believe. So there it is talking about just the spiritual contract, if you will, that we're under because of what we've already done. We've already forfeited things. We've already signed bills of debt. The fourth barrier that, we, that keeps us away from God eternally is the spiritual death. Paul teaches us that in Adam all die. 1 Corinthians 15 22. man's position in Adam brings spiritual death, eventually physical death, and ultimately eternal death, or eternal separation from God. Romans 6-23 tells us the wages of sin is death. And In Romans 5-12, which we already read, therefore just as one man, sin entered the world, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. Death is the awesome consequence of sin, and going back to the verses we've already talked about, The point of these verses is that death, whether physical or spiritual, is the product of man's position in Adam and in his personal sin. This means that man in himself is without spiritual life and spiritual capacity. Nothing we can do. We're bound for the grave. We're bound for separation without Jesus. The fifth barrier is unrighteousness. Isaiah 64, 6, We are all like one who is unclean, All of our so-called righteous acts are like a filthy rag in your sight. We all wither like a leaf, our sins carry us away with the wind. Romans 10.1, brothers and sisters, my heart's desire and prayer to God on behalf of all my fellow Israelites is for their salvation. For I can testify that they are zealous for God, but their zeal is not in line with the truth. For ignoring the righteousness that comes from God and seeking instead to establish their own righteousness, they did not submit to God's righteousness. For Christ is the end of the law with the result that there is righteousness for everyone who believes. We cannot act in any way right standing to take care of the righteousness issue. This goes back to the getting in in front of the throne of God, that holiness. There is nothing we can do. Even if we follow the rules of the Old Testament, we're still short. And that is the fifth barrier. The answer alone to all the barriers is reconciliation through Christ alone. The English definition of reconcile means to cause, to be friendly again, to bring back to harmony, or to bring back into peace. So there are multiple times in the Bible here where they'll use reconciliation. Um, And reconciliation um, is just that bringing us back. We're on good terms. Um, So when we talk about reconciliation, we're talking about specifically um, a couple different Greek words that people that are used in the Bible, um, mainly Paul uses them. Catalasso uh, uh, means to change from enmity or disharmony to friendship and harmony or to reconcile and that's the word that, um, that friendship, that switching over to a friend is the, the reference in Romans 5.10 where it says for if we were enemies for if while we were enemies we were reconciled to God through the death of his son how much more since we have been reconciled We'll be, will we be saved by life? So there the reconciliation is using the term of the enemy, the being unfriendly. Um, and all of these things, 2 Corinthians 5.18, and all these things are from God who reconciled us to himself before Christ, or through Christ, and who has given us the ministry of reconciliation. Um, given to us all the ministry of reconciliation. Okay? So, one of our purposes in the life life that we are living is we are to help all people become friendly with God, right? So that's what reconciliation means right there. The ministry of making peace and bringing people to a friendship with God. In other words, if Christ's God, this might be the charter guy calling for, calling for Joe who's waiting for the charter guy out there. Um, and all these things are from God and reconciled who reconciled us to himself through Christ and who has given us the ministry of reconciliation. In other words, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting people's trespasses against them, and he has given us the message of reconciliation. The other word that they use for reconciliation um, is apokatalasa, which is like a compound word that Paul kind of, you don't see a lot in other Greek stuff, but Paul likes to use it, so it could be kind of a Paulism. Um, and to express the, the completeness of the, the reconciliation. So like this one, he's talking about it being a complete thing. Before, he's talking about bringing this friendship back. Um, and through him to reconcile all things to himself by making peace through the blood of the cross, through him, whether things are on, on earth or in heaven, and you were at one time strangers and enemies in your minds expressed through your evil deeds. So through him to reconcile, to complete all things to himself, Um, through the blood of the cross. So when they use reconciliation, when we talk about reconciliation, that is the the bringing about of that friendship with God. It's the reestablishing the relationship that existed before Adam that we enter back into that. Um, The answer to barrier one, which is the holiness, is a term people call propitiation. Um, So this is directly explaining the biblical verses that explain How we take care of that holiness barrier Uh, propitiation is the part of work is part of the work of reconciliation which deals with the barrier of god's holiness the obstacle erected or caused by man's sin thus the holiness of god becomes a key part in removing the alienation of enmity against god how do we balance love and grace versus the righteousness and justice because god has all of that right he's got the love and grace but there's also the righteousness and the justice and sometimes, if we're just, how does, how does he deal with all of that while still dealing with us? Because some of those things, when you concern it with us, are quite opposite. First John 2, 1 John 2.1, my little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. And he himself is the atoning sacrifice for our sins. And not only for our sins, but also for the whole world. There you go. It is the sacrifice for our sins of Jesus. No longer animals, no longer whatever else God put a band-aid on that allows us to enter in. Hebrews 2.17, Therefore he had to be made like his brothers and sisters in every respect so that he could become a merciful and faithful high priest in things relating to God, to make atonement for sins of the people. So we have to view Jesus yet, and the Bible talks about Jesus being our priest. Jesus is the one who did his priestly duty and made us so that we can enter into God's holiness. It's part of the salvation process, part of what he did. God publicly displayed himself, or God publicly displayed him at death as the mercy mercy seat accessible through faith. So, there again, if anybody knows the mercy seat, they used to sprinkle over the mercy seat to atone for the sins. And, and Paul is saying that God publicly displayed Jesus as that sprinkling on the mercy seat. This was to demonstrate his righteousness because God and his forbearance had passed over the sins previously committed. This was also to demonstrate his righteousness in the present time so that he would be just and the justifier of the one who lives because of Jesus' faithfulness. So when we talk about the term propitiation, We are talking about the spiritual priestly act of making us holy to enter into the presence of God. Then there is also the answer to the barrier of the sin of man, and that is redemption. That's the redemption aspect of salvation. Redemption is another part of the overall work of God by which God has uh, brought about our reconciliation and the removal of the barrier. It deals specifically with the problem of man's sin and with the fact that man is viewed in Scripture as imprisoned or enslaved because of his sin. It is a specific payment. So Galatians 4.3, So also we, when we were minors, were enslaved under the basic forces of the world. But when the appropriate time had come, God sent out his Son, born of a woman, born under the wall, or law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we may be adopted as sons with full rights. And because you are no longer a slave but a son, and if you are a son, then you are also an heir through God. Formerly, when you did not know God, you were enslaved to beings that by nature were not gods at all. But the scripture imprisoned everything under sin so that the promise could be given because of the faithfulness of Jesus Christ to those who believe. Um, When it talks about the purchasing, uh, the the one Greek word it likes to use, there's actually a couple, but... Two most prevalent. One is agorazo, and this word comes from the word, um, the Greek word agora, which, if you remember anything like Western civ class or Greeks, the agora was the market. They still call, I think, markets the agora. But the the agorazo is is to purchase or, or buy from the marketplace. So when they're talking about Jesus coming and redeeming, they're using the word that means to physically to buy you back. Um, so in 1 Corinthians six twenty. For you were bought at a price, therefore glorify God with your body. You were bought, and then again later in 7, it says, you were bought with a price, do not become slaves of men. Don't need to, you're taken care of. That is done. Everything that mankind, so that's Adam's sin, your family's sin, your sin, everything is taken care of in that purchase price. Um, and again, it, it refers to the context of like Jesus went to the slave block, and bought us all off of the slave block and brought us back. Um, the other redemption word that's used um, is lutrao. And the word comes from lutron, which means a ransom price. And lutron comes from luo, a verb meaning to release or set free. So lutrao carries the meaning of to release by paying a price. And again, it brings to the point that Jesus paid the price for that. 1 Peter one eighteen, you know that From your empty way of life inherited from your ancestors, you are ransomed. Not by perishable things like silver or gold, but by the precious blood like that of an unblemished and spotless lamb, namely Christ. So Peter there is addressing specifically the stuff that you've inherited from your ancestors. Um, You're ransomed away from that. Jesus purchased that directly. Um, For whom did Christ die to do this? 1 Timothy 4.10, for it is... For it is for this we labor and strive because we have fixed our hope of the living God who is the Savior of all men, especially of believers. He is the Savior of all men. All men can enter into this. Um, whether they choose to enter into that, that's a different story. But it was for all. 1 John 2, one, My little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous one and he himself is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, not only for our sins, but also for the whole world. There is hope for all. I don't I want to make it clear that we don't, uh, we don't limit God's atonement. It's for everybody. They have to make the choice, but it's for everybody. Um, the next barrier gets destroyed by um, expiation. And it deals with the legal penalty of sin. So this is, in context, words that were used on a legal basis that then Paul used to describe Jesus legally taking care of that with the salvation process also. So it's kind of like redemption, but with a specific focus on paying the legal debt of sin. Um, And this would be the barrier three, which is the penalty of the law. So Jesus is taking care of that penalty of the law now. Um, expiation means to undo the wrong done by paying or suffering the penalty for that wrong as demanded by the law. In essence, expiation means to remove the penalty officially imposed by law, which indicts and proves the sinner guilty. In Colossians 2.14, having canceled out the certificate of debt consisting of decrees against us and which was hostile to us, and he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. He has removed that, which kept us in debt, legal debt. That spiritual legal debt is gone. Uh, he has removed it. You can get a little deeper into that, whatever that means. That's not for today. Um, expiation again, having canceled out, canceled. In the Greek, exalapho, which means to wipe out or off, was also used as the word was used as like smearing out letters written on wax or the erasure of indebtedness or the wiping out of an item on an account. So they are specifically talking legal terms. Um, and again, the word certificate of debt, the, way, the reason it translates that is, is kirographon, which means handwriting or a handwritten document or decree, that certificate of debt. And it's also the, that plural of dogma, um, a decree, command of ordinance. So Jesus is taking care of all the law stuff, everything that came before. Um, in this regard, the law was indeed, at least in part, a handwritten document consisting of laws or commands written by the finger of God, referring to the Torah and uh, that. Now we have to take care of the fourth barrier, which is death, and we get the term substitution. Um, and substitution, you can also use this for more than just spiritual death, as we'll see as we talk about this passage from Isaiah. Um, Substitution means, uh, I don't want substitution to just have the connotation of dealing with death. Because substitution is also a basis for theology of healing. And so we can't ever, we think about the substitution process, I don't want us to just think spiritual death and then coming alive again. I want us to think about the fact that Jesus was a substitute for us for many things, Um. Go read the passage from Isaiah here. That kind of helps explain that a little better. Um, But he lifted up our illnesses. He carried our pain, even though we thought he was being punished, attacked by God, and afflicted for something he had done. He was wounded because of our rebellious needs. He was crushed because of our sins. He endured punishment that made us well. Because of his wounds, we have been healed. All of us had wandered off like sheep. Each of us had strayed off on his own path. But the Lord caused the sin of all of us to attack him. He was treated harshly and afflicted, but he did not even open his mouth. Like a lamb led to the slaughtering block, like a sheep silent before her shearers, he did not even open his mouth. He was led away after an unjust trial, but who even cared? Indeed, he was cut off from the land of the living. Because of the rebellion of his own people, he was wounded. They intended to bury him with criminals, but he ended up in a rich man's tomb because he had committed no violent deeds, nor had he spoken deceitfully. Though the Lord desired to crush him and make him ill, once restitution is made, he will see descendants and enjoy long life. and The Lord's purpose will be accomplished through him. Having suffered, he will reflect on his work. He will be satisfied when he understands what he has done. My servant will acquit many, for he carried their sins. And we can talk about other verses about being you know, bruised for our iniquity. So substitution is the term that they're using with the salvation process takes care of the spiritual death, but also that what happened on the cross is also there for healing. It's also there for the mending of things. And um, there's more places we can go with that. Um, Anti-word for in the place of and hooper for the sake of. Those are the two terms that we're going to talk about here. Uh, But God demonstrates his own love for us and that while we were sinners, Christ died for us. 1 Corinthians fifteen three. For I passed on to you as of first importance what I also received, that Jesus died for our sins according to the Scripture. 2 Corinthians five twenty one. God made the one who did not know sin to be sin for us, that in him we would become the righteousness of God. Hebrews 2, 9, But we see Jesus, who was made lower than the angels for a little while, now crowned with glory and honor because he suffered death, so that by God's grace he would experience death on behalf of everyone. Um, and now we're going to talk about the barrier of unrighteousness, and the process. The word that they use a lot of times to convey that barrier is the word justification. Um, justification is a judicial or forensic concept, and is therefore related to God as the righteous judge of all the earth. So when we're talking about justification, we're viewing God as judge, which we know he is judge. Um, God can condemn, compromise, or he can make righteous. Those were his three choices. We were all in sin. Um, he could just condemn us, he could compromise us, and bring unrighteousness into his midst, or he could go through a process of making us righteous. Um, but any righteousness the sinner has must be actual and not fictitious. Does that make sense? So what we're saying is, in order for us to be righteous, we can't do it on our own. And If we were to try to do it on our own, and then God just let it pass, it would be fictitious, Right? It wouldn't be real. It's not real righteousness. Um, It wouldn't be acceptable by God's standards. So then he had to take care of this for us. And that's where the righteousness comes in. He is our righteousness. In this can be accomplished then and only then can he justify. So he's going to take care of it for us. And we'll read Romans 3. Romans 3.21. But now, apart from the law of righteousness, apart from the law, the righteousness of God, although it is attested by the law and the prophets, has been disclosed, namely, the righteousness of God through the faithfulness of Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. But they are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. God publicly displayed him at his death at the mercy seat, accessible through faith. This was to demonstrate his righteousness because God in his forbearance had passed over the sins previously committed. This was also to demonstrate his righteousness in the present time so that we would be just and the justifier of the one who lives because of Jesus Christ. faithfulness. Philippians 3, seven. but these assets I have come to regard as liabilities because of Christ. More than that, I now regard all things as liabilities compared to the far greater, greater value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things. Indeed, I regard them as dung, that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not because I have my own righteousness derived from the law, but because I have the righteousness that comes by the way of Christ's faithfulness, a righteousness from God that is in fact based on Christ's faithfulness. So there he's talking about the law could could not get him to the place of righteousness. Only through Jesus Christ is the righteousness attained. So we don't do anything for our righteousness. God has provided that. Nothing we can do for that. Um, So those are the things that take down each of the barriers that keep us from God. So if we're talking to people and we're giving them a salvation message, usually people start with, why do I need it? And you need it because of these five things that are occurring. I mean, you can simplify it if you want. But we all have those five barriers before we find Jesus Christ. And then we explain, you don't have to use all the technical terms, then we explain how Jesus takes care of all of that. Um, why you need it, what he provides, let's do this, that type of thing. I also wanna put, just so that we can make clear as we talked a little bit about uh, limited atonement and unlimited atonement, which people can get iffy on depending on churches that they go to. Um, we believe that Jesus died for all, That it is available for all, and that Jesus did not just die for a select few, I just want to make sure that that's clear. Anybody that wants it, it is available. Jesus' blood paid for all of it. Jesus' blood was not just spilled for select people. Um, The other thing we need to cover is that there is only one answer Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. That is tough to theologically argue around. People try. First uh, Timothy two five for there is one God and there is one mediator between God and men the man Jesus Christ tough to slip around that um, Acts four twelve and there is salvation in no one else for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved Jesus is the only way and the only answer to get back into the good graces and the relationship with the Father. When we go out and we preach the gospel, we need to address it not in a get-out-of-hell-free ticket. We need to address it as an establishment of you becoming the person and living the life you were intended to live from the start. We are breaking down those barriers. Jesus Christ is taking care of those barriers so that you can step into who you were meant to be. Hell is scary, but hell is not where I would want to go when I am evangelizing to people. Everybody, for the most part, <laughs> um, they are, there's, there's just a lot of people unhappy with their lives. They're unhappy with what they're doing in life. They're depressed. They don't feel that worth. They don't feel that value. They're lost because they don't have true significance. And I think that as we evangelize the people, I think we try to offer a fix to that. I don't think, I mean, there are some people that are probably still scared of hell, but they just need to be restored. And we need to show them that this is what restoration looks like, this is where you're at, this is where you could be, barriers destroyed, that's the gospel. Coming into the family of God, then into the family of God, establishing the kingdom. The idea is that all of this brings us into good graces with God and we become a new creation. That new creation is a creation of the kingdom. And that's where I'm at with the gospel. And so I hope that when we, when we talk to people, we have words and ideas in our head that allows us to explain it clearly. There's a lot here. I went through a lot of stuff. Um, but that's, our, that's the theology for it. That's, that's the basic underlying principles that take care of the things that kept us away from God. And now we are not kept away from God because of Jesus and everything that he has done. That's what I wanted to talk about. Um, Jesus is the only way, and we need to present Him in a way that benefits life, and not as hell and judgment. Hell and judgment is real. I would never take away hell and judgment. Both of those things are reality, but that's not that's not why I'm glad I'm saved. I'm glad I'm saved because I live a daily life and a fulfilling life doing everything with Jesus and what Jesus has called me to do. Does that make sense? I don't want to downplay hell because I'm not a hell downplayer, hell doesn't exist guy. But that's not why I'm happy to get up in the morning. I don't get up in the morning and just like, oh, thank goodness, I'm not going to hell if I die. No, it's I get up in the morning. All right, Jesus, what am I going to do today? What are we doing? Where are we going in the kingdom? So, all right, that's where I'm at. I'll quit. Dear Lord, We thank you for your son, Jesus, and we thank you for everything that you did for us on the cross. We thank you that you are a God that took care of it in completeness. You are a God that knew all the issues, and you are a God that made a way to break down all of those barriers. Jesus, we thank you for what you did, what you had to suffer through to make that possible. We thank you that you have made all of our lives more enriching, and that we get to look forward to eternity with you. And Lord, I just ask that you would place on our heart that calling to bring about reconciliation in our community, in our families. And Lord, that we would start engaging in discussions, that we would start engaging when we hear your whispers to do the things that you want us to do and say the things that you want us to say. So thankful for all that you did on the cross, Jesus, your resurrection. We thank you for making us new creations. And Jesus, we love you and we thank you for all of these things. In your name we pray, Jesus. Amen.